Hello to all of you that are listening to this message. My name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those that are new, I just briefly want to mention to you that I will be sharing this message, Seeking to Speak as the Oracles of God, as it states in 1 Peter chapter 4, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will speak seeking to allow God to speak through me to you as an individual and to the corporate body of Christ. In other words, I will seek to minister to you out of the Spirit of God, the words that are coming from God, to be one through which the Holy Spirit can flow so that the words that I speak will touch the very core of your being. As Christ said, the words I speak are spirit and life. So to facilitate that, I don't really prepare much of anything. I do meditate on the Word of God in this particular section of time, a half an hour, and that includes the writing of notes. In this case, I haven't done that, um, and I am going back to a passage of Scripture that I believe will be the theme passage which is Philippians chapter 3, which is from around two weeks ago. So I want to begin by just sharing the passage, Philippians chapter 3, and reading that chapter to you. So we will now just turn to Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, Doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything we be other ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things unto himself. I'm just going to have a brief drink of water here. Father in heaven, I thank you for your presence and for your word. I thank you that you are able to speak to me and to your people. And I ask that you would have your way in me, that your word would come forth, and Lord, that your word would have free course in your people, that it would prevail through this message to your purposes and to your glory. I thank you for every individual that's listening to this message, that Lord, they would receive what you have for them, that you would give them ears to hear what the Holy Spirit of God is seeking to say to them in Jesus' name. I ask these things. Amen. I haven't ministered from the Word of God for about two weeks or more. I know I did around October the 12th, and now it's already October the 26th. But I am seeking to become more consistent and frequent in the ministry of the Word. And today, I just, after reading this passage, I just want to give you a context of what is some of the types of things that the Lord has been bringing forth through the casting of lots in these last two weeks before I get into this theme passage. The day before this passage of Philippians 3, I received John chapter 8, where the Lord is being very severe with the Pharisees and he is making it very clear who he is. And, of course, to the natural mind, this was hard for them to receive. And yet it was at that time that many believed, because he spoke with such authority and power. His words were spirit and life. But the thing that was veiling the Pharisees Christ addressed. He addressed the issue of their heart in John chapter 8. And he made it clear that one's heart's motives of lust is what causes them not to be able to hear the word of God or to understand it. 
If our motives are impure, they're corrupt. And of course, where there's corruption, there is no light, there is only death, there is only darkness. And where there is no light, one cannot see. And obviously, seeing is a means of receiving from God. Perceiving is a means of receiving from God. And hearing is, in a sense, also seeing. And seeing is, in a sense, also hearing. Because it is, in our physical body, one of the members that are used for receiving communication. And also in the spiritual, we have ears that can hear what God is saying, and a heart that can perceive and see the things of the kingdom of God. The Lord is calling us to come into that place of relationship with him, where we can begin to know an intimacy with him, where we become acquainted with those things that are coming from him because our heart is in such a place that it can hear and know the voice of the Spirit of God. And that is the longing and the prayer in my heart. In measure I hear, in measure I perceive the things of the kingdom of God, but there is so much more for all of us to enter into. And that involves faith that triumphs over the things of this world that are contrary to faith. The motivations in the heart that are self-seeking are contrary to faith. As Christ said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. And in that context, he also said, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And when the love of the Father is not in us, because we love the world, we are in a place in our hearts where we are deceived if we do claim to hear from God like the Pharisees, or claim that we know the ways of God, like the Pharisees. And the Lord said to them, Because you say you see, your sins remain, and therefore you have the greater sin. For if the light that you've had brought into you become darkness, how great is that darkness, Christ said. So when God gives us those things that are of him, it is so that we would respond not out of some mere performance, but out of a reciprocative relationship of love with God. And so I just want to go to the first part of Philippians here. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say. I don't prepare messages. And this time I don't really have much except some passages to go on. And Paul the Apostle says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There is a phrase that is repeated in various parts of the New Testament called the joy of faith. It is truly genuine faith that releases great joy and genuine love for Christ said that if we love one another our joy would be full. It is when we learn to love God with all our heart and being which means that we have chosen to cut off the loves of all other things in this life, no matter how dear and precious they may seem to us. And that often involves a painful process of dying to those things, that we may live unto God. But it is when we enter in to that place of death that we experience the resurrection of his life of his love in us and our joy becomes full and complete and there's the triumph of faith that rejoices over those things that we at one time thought were so meaningful that we couldn't let go of and now we rejoice because we see what a bondage it was just a manipulated faith that was being used to steer our lives in destructive paths that brought greater and greater consequences of emptiness and of hurt to us and those around us. The Lord is calling us as his people in this day and hour to wake up because the time is urgent. For he has promised to shake all things that are shakable, that what is unshakable might remain. And that means that even our very faith is being tried, as Peter's was, where Christ said when Peter's faith was tried and he denied the Lord three times. He said before he denied the Lord to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith, though your faith would be shaken as weak, that it would not fail. And brothers and sisters, when we learn to persevere and to trust God, there's always going to be the experience of resurrection on the other side. And the more we learn to go through things like that, the more our hope increases, the more we can really actually come to glory and tribulations. As the Word of God says, it says glory and tribulations. No, when we have trials and sufferings, it's not something that any of us enjoy. That's why the Word of God also says, though you be in heaviness through a, for a season through manifold temptations, yet the trying of your faith will bring forth that which is precious. In God's sight, what is precious is to see genuine faith coming forth in our lives. This faith is likened in Peter, Second Peter, to gold being smelted. And as it is being smelted and put through the fire, the dross is coming to the surface, and the enemy seeks to accuse us and to say that we're the dross, 
and to condemn us for the things that have been exposed in our heart that are not of God through the pressure of those trials. See, that's who you are. And if we tend to buy into those suggestions under trial, instead of trusting in the mercy of God and crying out to him to forgive us and believing in his power to forgive and to cleanse us, but we are to take him at his word and not go by feelings. When he says in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can take God at his word if our prayer is pure and genuine in our repentance. There are consequences to wrong choices, no doubt. There was consequences to the choices that King David did when he sinned. Serious consequences of suffering and trial. But he was forgiven. He was restored to a close relationship with God. And he prayed that prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Restore unto me the joy of thy deliverance or of thy salvation or the joy of knowing you as my Yeshua, of, as my Savior, as my God. And so the Holy Spirit is calling us as his people to come to a place where, as Paul the Apostle said, in all things we have learned to triumph. Thanks be unto God that causes us to triumph in all things, brothers and sisters. And Paul the Apostle experienced all things. He experienced what it was to have abundance, and yet not let that abundance rob him of his relationship with God. He experienced what it was to go through great tribulation and suffering in prison without food. And know the closeness of God's presence and a faith that was rejoicing through it all. And it saw the powerful works of resurrection, such as the time when they were in prison, shut up and bound. They began to sing praises on the God despite what they faced, despite the whipping. And the presence of God came down and there was a mighty earthquake. And we know the story in the book of Acts that the jailer, whose life depended on keeping them, when he saw that they were all escaped, was about to commit suicide with his own sword. And Paul said, we're all here. And he came to the saving knowledge of Christ in his household and many of the prisoners, if not all of them. And we can know such a relationship with God in this day and age that will triumph in the midst of the greatest contradictions and discouragements. It is a matter of learning in those things to trust God in a heart that is thankful. For the word of God says that this is the will of God, that in everything we should be thankful or give thanks unto him. Look at Job. He was tried to the core. What was the issue in that trial that God brought up? Towards the end, God appears to him a whirlwind 
And he basically is saying this to Job. Look at the things I have created. Do you not see how creative I am? So why would you not recognize my, my creativity, that I'm in control of your life, and though you're going through all of this, that you can trust me, that I have a creative purpose in it? Why do you lean to your own understanding and darken counsel and knowledge with your own ways and understanding that are exposed through the trial? Learn to have an unconditional trust in me and not to hold bitterness and unforgiveness against your accuser. When did Job experience the turning of his captivity? He experienced it when he prayed for his friends. And some of the greatest testings in a person's lives are when those that are close and dear to us in the midst of a great trial turn against us and treat us as an enemy. There's nothing more hurtful that King David experienced. For he described how he used to go to the house of God with his friends and rejoice to worship with him, with them. And now he finds that they have turned against him to be his enemy and that what they experienced showed as outward was not in their hearts. And we don't know who are our true friends sometimes until we are put through the trials. But the question is this. Will we have the recognition in those trials that expose in the light of God's holiness what is not of God in our lives? that bring us to the place where we are undone. Like Joel, who cried out and he said, maybe I should turn to Job. Some of those passages there are just incredible. I wasn't planning to go to Job, but we're just going to speak in the Spirit what God is wanting to say to his people so that we will be those that rise up and become conquerors in these last days. So I'm going to go. I have no perfect idea of where this is in Job, but we're going to go to Job. We're going to try to find those passages. And Job says this in 42.1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This was the similar experience to many of the patriarchs of old. And of course, in this passage, Job prays for his friends. And it says, and the Lord in verse 10, turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. But he first came to the recognition of the greatness of God's mercy to him through this trial. The enemy may 
accuse us in the trial like our friends, of being the dross. Something's wrong in our lives. That's why God has allowed all these things in our lives. Something's wrong. And the enemy wants us to believe we're the dross because when we do believe and buy into the lies of the enemy and become bitter and peak, hold a fist before God of rebellion, we are being conformed not to the image of God's love, for God is perfect love, and in him is no darkness at all. But we are being conformed to that destructive one who is the father of lies and of delusion in rebellion against God. But it is the holiness of God that is so beautiful in so many ways. But it is in the holiness of God that there is the temptation to rebel against the consequences of holiness that we as an individual experience in our own lives, that we see around us in the suffering of those that seem to be facing such injustices in this world. And so we can buy into the lie of the accuser of the brethren. But the holiness of God requires that God is a blazing fire of love. Yes, the holiness of God is the integrity of God's love. That is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest word, thought, deed, or action that would be contrary to perfect love. Perfect love being that quality of being that always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate temporal gratification of choice or choice to be gratified in something more immediate that isn't the highest lasting good. God's love is perfect. It is perfect because it is a blazing fire of judgment in its integrity that consumes all that is contrary to love. It will not tolerate sin. It requires judgment upon all that is destructive in principle because it is less than love and therefore has the principle of destruction in it. But it is in the holiness of God that is contained wholeness. For in that holiness of God there is no corruption. And therefore, there can be unlimited power and unlimited life that can be contained, and not only contained, but enlarged in creativity that comes from love and ever-enlarging realms of goodness and of fulfillment and of creativity that ever expands forever and never ends. It is an amazing love. So out of the holiness of God comes the wholeness, and out of the wholeness comes the beauty of God. God is the very source of the ultimate perfection of love. And this love is ultimate and very clearly revealed and crystallized as ultimate, in that even God himself has within his being 
a quality of such ultimate perfection that has always been there beyond the time and space realm, but has also entered into our time and space realm in this world, in the center of history, in the full expression of himself. And I just briefly want to explain here to those that may not understand that we do not worship as followers of Jesus Christ three gods. One of the names of God in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is Elohim, which means the Almighty's one. It's plural. God is known, and God could is known as the Father. Father means originator. As the Father, God governs beyond the time and space realm and sees the end from the beginning. He is the originator of all things. As the Son, He is the full expression of the Father. The Son comes out of the Father. The Son is the exact expression and the only and one expression of the Father. There is only one Son, and that is Jesus Christ. And He rules and in in the time and space realm, communicating with creation. And there is the Holy Spirit, where God is omnipresent, everywhere at the same time, able to appear in personage in multitudes of places, millions, no end of the number of places at the same time, and able to appear in visions in multitudes of places at the same time to any being he so wishes to reveal himself to, able to do creative acts, omnipresent throughout the universe. His presence is attached to every particle of existence in consciousness and intelligence in omnipresence. And if God could not be as a conscious entity of an ultimate personality intelligence beyond time and space, he would not be, be able to rule beyond time and space, and therefore he'd be less than God. If he could not be so as the sun in time and space, as conscious personality and ultimate intelligence, he would not be able to rule within the creation realm, nor would he as the Holy Spirit in omnipresence. And so for God to be almighty, he must be in three personages. He must be able to be in personage beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space. And so there is only one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Elohim, the Almighty's One, the I Am that I Am, or in Hebrew, the I Am that I Am, is pronounced Ahiyah, Asher Ahiyah. And I am here today to share with you that this wonderful message is this, that out of the holiness of God springs forth the mercy of God, that therefore assures to creation that the creation that he created can receive destiny that is everlasting in ultimate meaning and fulfillment if they choose to receive the mercy of God. And that mercy of God is crystallized in its ultimate love on the cross. In the fact that God, in his Son, humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. Elohim humbled himself in the Son more than you, a mere creature. And suffered more than you, a mere creature. It's hard to grasp. 
that a God of such a vast and great universe could be so great that he could have such love to do that and absorb sin, your sin, and the sins of creation upon himself, and yet it never affected him. And that is evident in that he rose from the dead. And the reason it never affected him was that when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He never broke his union with the Father, for he is God. And God can never be broken from being God. When he was on the cross, he always had an unconditional faith and trust in the Father. He never shook his face, fist at the Father when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Rather, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had a faith that was in total union when he experienced the full judgment of the consequences of your sins upon himself on the cross. He never broke his union. His spirit never became defiled in rebellion on the cross. He was in total state of selfless trust. His expression, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was an expression of releasing the burden of what he was going through, but not of the lack of faith. And when we go through trials, that is true. That we may, like Job, say, God, God, why are you allowing these things? As it says in Peter, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as so some strange thing happened to you. God has a creative purpose. And his purpose in allowing himself to suffer such as he did on the cross in his son. The father loved the son so much that he said to the son, Yes, son, I'm willing to let you go. And go through this terrible crucible of humbling and humiliation so that you can inherit a corporate bride unto me. And the son said, I love you, Father, so much, for I see your holiness and the beauty of your holiness, and it is ever increasing in me in appreciation of reciprocation and thankfulness that I want to go and go through this so that I can bring to you your corporate bride, so that we can be enlarged in our creation that we have created in a corporate bride. And so God the Father sent the Son, and the Son, Jesus Christ, kept his soul in total purity on the cross, though he absorbed the consequences upon himself of our sin. But because his spirit was holy, as it says in Romans 1-4, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness. It was the spirit of holiness in him that was totally whole in union with the Father, despite this trial that allowed the fullness of God to conquer death itself and verified that God is indeed God. And he always was, and it always was in the being of God that it was a reality, not just a capacity, 
that he had humbled himself and done this amazing work on the cross. That is why it says in Revelations 18 and other passages that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, slain before the world was created. It was a reality in God that his being was at such an ultimate apex of perfection. But with us as beings, when we are exposed to trials, which is an aspect of the holiness of God being allowed in our lives towards his creative purpose, or when we see something happen to others, as King David did, when the ark, the priests of the Lord, had become presumptuous and disobeyed the commandment of the Lord that said that the ark was to be carried on their, on their shoulders in reverence, and they put it on a cart. And because there was a lack of reverence and disobedience in that reverence to carrying that ark, they, the priest was smitten dead by God. And King David became afraid of God. And he had the ark go into the house of Obedidim because now he was afraid of God. And so he discovered that the house of Obadidim became greatly blessed when the ark was there. And then he began to realize that he had developed a wrong perception of God. That he didn't see that in the holiness of God there was such beauty, but now he saw it. Now he realized it. And he repented of the rebellion that was exposed in his heart through seeing this terrible thing happen. And then he began to dance all the more to bring the ark of God back to where it was to be. And it was brought back to the place that it was supposed to be at. And when we go through trials in our lives, we may experience a withdrawing of God's presence that may cause us to wonder why God is allowing things to happen. And we may even have a measure of rebellion and a withdrawal like King David. But if we will begin to recognize how creative God is, that in his holiness is his wholeness and is his beauty and is his goodness. In fact, the word of God says that his goodness is unsearchable. Why? Because God's goodness is not only perfect in the perfection of a love that requires judgment against all that is contrary, but his love from that foundation springs forth with, which, with that which is ultimate in perfection, which is that God can provide mercy because he himself became a perfect atoning sacrifice. It was the blood of God that was poured out on the cross. Jesus Christ's blood didn't come from a man. It always comes from a male. In this case, there was no male. It was the Holy Spirit that moved upon the womb of Mary and birthed in her the blood that was the very blood of God. It was outpoured in his love, in his life out for you, that you could be cleansed and made white as snow. And his body was broken for you. That you could be healed in your soul and in your body and restored. 
God is calling us as his people to enter in to a relationship of unconditional love and fellowship with God. Many of us have been going through trials now because God is preparing us to become his corporate bride. He is looking for the ten virgins that are spotless, whose love is not just merely a love that fills the oil of what is expected, but goes beyond. Like Rebecca, that went beyond and drew water for the servant that was seeking bride for the bridegroom. And Rebecca was revealed as that bride because she went beyond. Many of us, we can go to charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches or whatever the church is, and we can be going to the prayer meetings, and we can be involved in all of these things, and all of that is good. But so many of us have fallen into a place like the church of Ephesus where we've lost our first love. We haven't been brought to a place where our love is lavish because we see how great God's goodness and mercy is to us. Like the woman that wept at the feet of Christ. The woman that broke the alabaster box at the feet of Christ in utter appreciation for the greatness of God's mercy and goodness that he would save her. Why did Christ say that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you? Because it is so easy to come to a place in our walk with God where we lose out in being in a first love, reciprocative relationship of lavish love for God. God is wanting more than just going to church and feeling his presence. He's wanting us to know what it is to pour ourselves out in full love unto him so that the full headship of Christ can inhabit the body. And the revival that God is about to bring upon the face of the earth is more than just the revivals of the past like Azusa Street. It is more than just the revivals like the Welsh Revival. It is far more than that. It is the restoration of all things. It was, it was talked about in the book of Acts by the Holy Spirit where it says concerning Jesus Christ, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things. God is calling us as his people to be part of that. To repent that the fullness of the headship of Christ is not inhabiting the local assemblies because there's so much control. Because we are so denominating or divisive, Christ commands us to receive one another as he received us. To be able to pray for those very ones that have hurt us and to love them. He is calling us to be like the woman at the feet of Christ and to, as it were, wash one another's feet, recognizing the greatness of God's mercy to us so that we can show that same mercy to them. And the thing that the Lord is wanting to restore that will bring this is the fear of God. In great measure, it has been lost in many assemblies. I am one that is 
has written extensively on the fear of God, and eventually, Lord willing, that book will be completed. Although I'm doing another book that is practical, that is an outline in detail on what should be in a local assembly to allow the fullness of the headship of Christ to inhabit his body in these last days. Where every valley shall be filled and every mountain brought down and the crooked places made straight and the rough places smooth so that the glory of God can be seen that Christ talks about in John 17. That we should be one with him even as he is with the Father. And what did Christ say in the Gospel of John that that secret involved? He said that even as I am one with the Father, if you eat of me and you drink of my blood, you will be one with me. This is issues out of the fear of God. The genuine fear of God is basically this. It is a choice in our heart to recognize God for who he really is. And who is God in reality? He is holy as I have been describing he is so holy that in the light of his holiness that can be brought forth through trials, that can be brought forth through revelation like Isaiah had. When Hezekiah died, that was a trial to him. And out of that trial, maybe he had a strong identity in Hezekiah. But out of that trial, he had the revelation of the holiness and of the glory of God. And the tongs were taken from the altar that purged him. And he was brought into a relationship where he could be sent, where he could be used. As the Father has sent me, so send I you, says Christ, to his people in this hour. And to come into that place of being sent, there must come that turning to God again, where we see how beautiful the holiness of God is. Where we know the beauty of the care of God that will not tolerate sin. It is a blazing fire of love that is so pure that it dwells in a light that is unapproachable. This love is only comprehended when we come into unity with all saints, as it says in the scripture, that we with all saints may comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And what brings people to a place where they will be filled with the fullness of God is when out of the light of God's holiness we see the greatness of his mercy to us of his goodness to us. Genuine faith responds out of the revelation of the love of God. For the word of God says that faith works by love. And the revelation of the love of God can only come out of the revelation of the integrity of his love that requires judgment. And when we begin to come to a place in our assemblies where we humble ourselves when we start our meetings and we are in awe of who God is and we are on our faces and we are on our knees in whatever way, but we get before God and we become aware that he's the one we're meeting with, that he's the one walking in our midst. 
How can we not as leaders, brothers and sisters, and everyone in the assembly not want to be lying on our faces and our knees before God, not wanting learn to wait on God and be still and know that he is God? Then there will be the breaking and the melting of the hardness, and out of that will birth forth true and pure worship and true and pure liberty and praise and the gifts of the Spirit. How dare we have our comfort zones and limit the Holy Spirit from moving through each member of the body as the Holy Spirit would move on them? What did Paul the Apostle say? Said He said that God has so tempered the body together that he gives more abundant honor unto the part that lacks, that there should be no schism in the body of Christ. In other words, when we are truly in that place of humility, from the leadership down to the basis soul, then the oil of God will run down Aaron's beard to the skirt of his garment. And that passage says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When that happens, brothers and sisters, we will know a unity in God and with each other that will bring the fullness of the headship of Christ to inhabit the body as never before, and we will conquer our nation where we live, our community where we live, our friends that have been brought into our lives. They will come out of their captivity. We will rejoice with them even if we are in prison with them, and the prison doors will be opened in their lives. And in our nation that is in captivity because of the sin will come forth within that nation of darkness, a great nation of light that will enter, as it says in Revelations 22, the nations that have been converted will enter into the gate of the New Jerusalem. Oh, Brothers and sisters, this is such a powerful thing that God's wanting to do in these last days to bring forth a bride that is lavishly in love with him that will go forth and be who he has called her to be. So my cry is that we as his people would become his house of prayer also. For when we humble ourselves, let's not complain that there's so few people that come to the prayer meeting in our church. Let's make our church service prayer meeting. Let's start our church services in humility and enter into the fear of God that we might have a revelation of the greatness of his loving kindness and of his goodness. Then we have a faith that responds to such a revelation of love that is pure that is unconditional, that can show mercy, that can wash one another's feet, that can go forth into a dark world and bring the light of the gospel and show forth the praises of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That light shines because of the love. And that love is the negative representing the holiness of God, the foundation that has no corruption, that is the integrity of God's love from which springs forth the positive or the plus symbol, the ultimate positive of the universe, which is the mercy of God that springs out of the holiness of God.
And when there is the negative and positive, the electron shells of hardness around the nucleus of our heart are broken. And there is the flow of life, of electricity in the natural realm. God is calling us to break up our fall of ground, to enter into two things, the meetings of solemn assembly and the meetings of great rejoicing. Both can be in one meeting, of course. That should be the way it is. In this passage of Philippians, I've only got to the first little bit, which is quite amazing. But in that passage of Philippians, I want to continue to read this little bit at the beginning. I just got to the verse that said, Rejoice in the Lord, and out of that sprang forth a message. God is calling us to be those that can rejoice over the enemy. Because we come to a place of unconditional faith and love, of reciprocative relationship that comes out of the choice to recognize God and his holiness and be reciprocated to it, that we might be reciprocated to the mercy of God, to the love of God, for God's love is manifested in his holiness and in his mercy. And God, Paul the Apostle goes on to say this, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. It's not our performance before God that is pleasing to God. It is a heart reciprocative relationship of abiding prayer, of abiding fellowship that comes when it is facilitated in laying down all of the things in our personal lives that would stop us. And in this world, it is busyness more than anything. Busyness over material concerns. Oh, we need to repent of the gods of amusement, of idleness, the gods of materialism. The sin of Sodom was abundance of bread and pride and idleness. If we want to see God's ultimate purpose come forth in his corporate bride around the world and be part of that, the challenge is to step out and enter in. The Lord is saying, why do you labor for things that don't satisfy? Come buy bread, milk, honey without price. Come to me, I will give you all of those things, not materially, spiritually, that will be so satisfying even in the midst of the greatest lack materially. And that will in the end bring forth abundance materially in his timing. We are the circumcision. The circumcision of our heart, the cutting away of the enclosing of the flesh, that there may be the release of the spirit, involves the sharp two-edged sword of the spirit, as the word of God says. The word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing us honor of soul and spirit, 
to the discerning of the very intents and motives of the heart and even of the marrow. Are we going to allow that sword of the holiness of God and of the mercy of God to pierce to the very depths of our being? It says concerning Mary, a sword shall pierce through thine own heart and the thoughts of many shall be revealed. And truly in that trial when she saw her son on the cross, a sword pierced through her own heart, but she knew and experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are crying out to God this day. We will not be bastards. We will choose to be sons. We will choose to buy of you the gold tried in the fire and to say, yes, God, I choose to let you have your way in my life. To be the clay that you can mold, to put me through the trials now that I may be purified so that I may be those of those ten wise virgins and be part of your bride that will be caught up with you in the marriage supper of the Lamb to return to reign with Christ for a thousand years on the earth and forever with the new Jerusalem. God is calling us. Don't be concerned. You're a citizen of heaven. Pray for the election in the states, it's October the 20th today. Pray that we will have the time to reap this harvest. The Trump will get in and not some corrupt government that will bring judgment a lot sooner. There needs to be the time. I pray for God to have mercy. If there isn't the time, we will still see his purposes unfold. But let's pray that God gives us mercy for there to be time for his end time move to come forth in the midst of prosperity because it is a greater victory to conquer prosperity than to have to have trials be used to bring us close to God. Thank you for listening to this message. Look forward to sharing again. God bless you all.